0: G'day, Gabers. Ed Wilson here. Welcome back to Gaberhood, the podcast where we have real talk about global gay neighbors' real stories, struggles, and hard won wisdom with sexy, titillating tidbits, funny anecdotes, and a celebration and exploration of our gay and queer lives. In this episode of Gaberhood, I have a good chat with support Pub Cooper. Support Pup Cooper is a puppy play uh, enthusiast. He's a kinkster. Uh, He's also a culturally responsive sex educator and is building his uh, coaching business in the pup and kink domain. Uh, We talk about gay bar culture versus creating varied queer spaces. We ask, what is sexuality? We talk about finding your own truth and freedom despite what society has suggested we should do. Uh, we touch on non-monogamy and we absolutely talk showing all the way up as genderqueer and gender fluid role models. We talk about how really the people who hate our freedom to be queer and to be gay and to break the quote-unquote rules of society are just really jealous haters and why? Uh, we talk about how visibly queer and kinky we should be. Uh, we talk about being aside side and sexpectations uh, and demisexuality. Pup Cooper is just basically a lovely human being and we really get in touch with who we are on the inside, what we want on the inside and what that means about us for ourselves and our lives and how we could live if we're not finding as much play and joy in our day-to-day lives as we might like to be. So I really hope you have a wonderful time listening and this does something for you. Enjoy. How are you
1: going, Cooper? Doing well. How are you?
0: Very good, thank you. Who are you? What would you like our audience to know about you?
1: I am an educator and coach and I specialize in sexuality and relationships. I'm a human puppy. I've been doing sexuality education, sex research for 15 years or so professionally and, and about five years before that uh, before I got my formal graduate training. And about two years ago, I kind of hit a point where I realized that there was really a need in the pup community for sexuality educator, or th- there was a need in the pup community for sexuality education that was culturally responsive, and I was like, "Well, here I am, one of the people in my field known for doing culturally responsive work. Mm. Well, gee, what if I brought my personal life, my professional life, and my academic skill set to come together?" Um, and I talked to a few of my friends, kinksters and puppies alike. Mm. And I was like, "What if I did this and started a coaching business and an education business?" Mm doing this work professionally. And my friends were all like, Oh, there's no question. There's a need for it. Finding people who can pay for it in the Mm. community might be hard Mm. because the community tends to be young. Mm. And I've actually found that it's not that young. In fact, Mm. most of my audience is between 25 and 40. um, And I think a lot of that's because there's a pretty high threshold for a lot of kinksters to getting into kink. That's really financial, unfortunately, because the gear, the events, the spaces that you need access to to participate or that you, you don't need access to them, but the spaces tend to be accessible only to folks who are sort of established adults who have a good sense of their own um, resources so that they can go and do those kinds of things. And so, um, yeah, so I started my Instagram account really as a test case to see, like, would people actually... Care about this and engage with me. And mm. what I found very quickly is that they did, and they were really interested. And it's been really fun, probably because I can show all the way up there. Mm. Um, it's a place where I get to be my whole self. I get to engage people about their whole selves or the parts of themselves that they want to engage about. And you know, I I go by Cooper professionally in that space, mm. not only because it's sort of the brand in my pup name, but also because honestly, it's become the place I'm most comfortable being me. Mm. I am much more comfortable as Cooper um, than I am as Justin. Not that Not that my human name or human self is technically any different. Mm. It's more that the human world, especially the cisgender heterosexual patriarchy human world Mm. really doesn't have a lot of space for me to show all the way up in general. Mm. And so to show all the way up with my puppy kinky self Mm. is even more limited in that space. And so I created a space of my own. And so now I'm like, I'm going to show up as Cooper. I'm going to show all the way up there. I'm going to cultivate the community and curate the space that I want to be in and that I want other people to be in because So much of what my work is about is meeting people where they are and encouraging them to be vulnerable, authentic, real, and to pursue the things they dream about, not just to pass, to fit in, to make it, to be accepted. I feel like if your goal is being accepted, you're still meeting other people's standards Mm -hmm. rather than your goal to thrive, which is then you're living up to your own standards. Yeah, And so- yeah, I prefer to be called Cooper. I, I've got friends who who knew me before they knew Cooper, who now are calling me Cooper because one of them said to me the other day, like I notice you respond differently when I say that name. Nice, and that really like hit me in my heart. To yeah, hear that. me
0: too. <laughs> I'm feeling it. <laughs> yeah, good for you, Cooper. I'm really I'm really pleased that you've gone on your journey it sounds like it hasn't necessarily been easy there were transformations there were unknowns there was self-discovery but now you're in a place where what you're prioritizing is you authenticity being real and just being the human being that you are and also being the pup that you are (laughs) Hey, so just quickly, just in case um, anybody's missed the sensation and phenomenon that has been pub play that I think I must have first noticed maybe 10 years ago, maybe 15, that might be too generous. Um, can you give everyone a quick background uh, to the best of your knowledge on just what pup play is and, and
1: and the basics? Sure. So there's two sort of, well, there's three sort of camps, I would say, but pup play, as I have learned about it, really emerged out of early BDSM uh, dehumanization play where people were um, participating as submissives in the role of an animal, particularly a dog, and as a submissive. And so it really grew out of that place. There's a long history. I mean, you can go back hundreds, thousands of years of people being portrayed in art and um, paintings and even cave drawings being represented as animals or some kind of anthropomorphic creatures we there's mythology right of mm. people or or beings that are part animal part human and so yeah it's been around forever this idea but what we know at least in the united states and much of the world is that this idea of pup play kind of came out of dog play in the bdsm world and then kind of evolved in a few directions. One of those directions is diversified and is more about pet play and there's cats and bunnies and people um, role play with, with other animals or other humans. And when I say animals, I mean, human animals. Yeah. And they role played all different kinds of pets. So there's the, there is now this whole pet play community. So there's like the, it's, it's complicated because there's the gay pup community. Mm. There's the more diverse pup community. Right. There's the queer pup community and it's sort of they're they're becoming more and more I think as a lot of the gay or LGBTQ community is is becoming more integrated than ever. Nice. Um, and then there's the furry world. And the furry world is more about the personification of animals. There's the fursonas, there's the fursuits, there's the mer suits, there's all of that culture. And so like they all overlap like a few different Venn diagrams. Mm -hmm. Um, We all occupy different parts of it, but a lot of it is not sexual at all. And then there's the sexual element, which is about the different ways in which people use their bodies to engage with each other for pleasure or role play purposes. Yeah. Um, Some pups are more social. Some pups are more sexual. Some pups are both, but that's sort of like the landscape I usually like to, layout for folks. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think you painted it really well. That certainly lines up with my understanding. You use the word anthropomorphic, which to my understanding is anthro meaning human morphic change. So really every pup and every furry is a, a human base, but with animalistic features like Anubis, or was it the Egyptian god of, was he a dog or was he a jackal? And it was, was he the god of death? Anyway.
1: Yes. All of those things. No, it's all of those
0: things. Oh, I was right. Oh, I hope so. Okay, because I, I can't wait yeah. to get my first corrections and emails. This is going to be an early episode. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want people to be like, oh, my God, you Anubis is my favorite god. How dare you get that wrong? How dare you not know all the facts? Uh, I welcome it. Bring it on. Cool. So, that's anthropomorphic. I really The thing that you painted in that landscape um, that was different and unusual to me, and I really want to explore it now, is that you said there's the gay scene, then there's the I think you said use the word inclusive scene and then the queer scene and there's that there's they're merging, but they are distinct. I also know that you yourself, you know, you, you you do you feel like you tidally fit into the the words gay man? And can you just explore this area a little bit more for me?
1: Yeah. So I when I first was exploring or I don't even know, I would say exploring, but first trying to put words to my experience. There was a cover of Newsweek magazine here in the United States in the 90s about bisexuality. And to me, at the time, I had felt feelings for for girls at school and boys at school. But the thing that stood out for me was the boys because that was different. When I saw the cover of that magazine, I was like, that feels like me. And then I came out and was drawn to, to boys as like the, the group that I felt most drawn to, but I always through that process, had this like experience of feeling like I had attraction to women and girls at the time. Um, I would say this time at this age, I was probably like 15, 16. And then in college or right when I was going to college, that was where I sort of met my first gay friends. And I don't know if you know about it, chuckle, chuckle, but there's quite a bit of biphobia in the gay cisgender men community. Oh, yeah. And so, absolutely. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of space for me to even try on a bi identity because there was so much bashing of vaginas, vulvas, women in general. Mm. And I just didn't really, I, it was so prevalent that I was just like, well, to be a good gay, you can't have those feelings.
0: Mm. Can I just ask you your age at this point? Because I think that we're both aware that culture is definitely changing with time. Um, But that was your early experiences when you were a young adult. Uh, How old are you today? I'm 44. And and do you agree with me that that like vagina bashing, vulva bashing, no space for bi people has evolved over time or not?
1: I think it's relevant to time. I think it's gotten a little better. I think that... Mm well, this is kind of where I'm going because I mm. think there is still a cisgender gay men community that still perpetuates a lot of that. Right. What I would call harm. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Exclusion, right? Exclusionary. Yeah.
1: Exclusion and just misogyny and mm. biphobia and trauma response. Like if we get beaten up and we can't be who we are, then we should regulate who gets to be who we are. Like, it's, 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 Incredibly problematic. I think it still exists today. I think it depends a lot on where you are. Um, Our community here in Philadelphia is quite large and diverse, and Mm -hmm. so there are places I choose not to go to because they're not queer enough for me. Right? They perpetuate too much of that. Mm. So when I was like in that young adult period coming out, I was like so trying to to find a place to fit in that I kind of erased or silenced or quieted a lot of those parts of myself. Mm. And then I went to graduate school for sexuality and I learned that there were words for these phenomenon and that maybe I wasn't so weird after all. And maybe there are people like me, but I still, in a lot of ways at this age now, like there's still parts of myself that I don't think I've fully explored. And so when I learned about queerness, mm. what really what I really gravitated towards and why I identify more as queer is because it's more free, it's more self defined, it's more the community I find in other queer people is much more comfortable because we're all there to be together and to support one another in our authenticity mm-hmm. rather than to fit into neat, neat and organized boxes. Yep. That's kind of where I've found myself.
0: Yeah, 100%. Um, now. It makes perfect sense to me.
1: Yeah. And the other thing that has changed over time is the, the, the language we use to describe gender. And so like, I was a super gender nonconforming kiddo. Mm. I was bullied a lot in school. I often was um, unable to describe my experience or feel validated in that experience because people would often tell me, well, if you would just act like a boy and behave like a normal, you wouldn't draw this attention to yourself. And you wouldn't be harassed, bullied, et cetera.
0: Ooh, no and more. so
1: <laughs> great. Yeah, right. Great. And so like, I very much have a gender queer or a gender nonconforming experience as a human being, even mm. though I learned to perform masculinity in a way that made it safe for me to navigate the world. Yep. So I'm still on a journey to better understand like which parts of those are me, which parts of that is authentic me, mm. which parts of those are things that I've learned to perform for my own safety, Mm. which of those do I want to dismantle and unpack and change? Mm. Which of those at this point in my life, do I even care about anymore? Because there's a certain privilege that comes with it and there's comfort in that privilege. And like that privilege and gives me access to do things like the the professional work I do that I might not be able to do otherwise. And so like, I have more questions about who I am and where I come from, but Mm. queer gives me, an internal sense of freedom to show up in my days, however I feel like showing up with whoever I'm there with.
0: And especially in the queer spaces, right? Because even though if the gay male space, if the guys that are there, uh, and I, I feel that the word gay man fits me very tidally, very nicely, but that doesn't mean that I'm informed and able to deal with People who don't feel exactly the way I do in the way that they would like to be dealt with and treated and to be given the freedom, space and openness to explore and be themselves, which is a real tough task, the way you just laid it out, it's like- yeah I, I don't uh, I don't resent that you have this task. I think it's a fun task to go and explore and find out exactly who you are and how you want to be in this world. Um, but if people aren't giving you that space and that opportunity because they have rigid ideas about how, who and how everybody should be, that's going to be a restrictive and less inclusive place for someone just like you right
1: Yeah, right yeah and that's where like when I'm in those when I'm in a more queer space or a defined queer space, I don't have to, like, I find myself, I don't have to police my mannerisms. I don't have to worry about what I'm wearing. Mm. I can literally just be comfortable. Yeah. And I am more likely to encounter and find fellowship with people who are also there for those reasons. When I go to certain gay bars that are, like, capital G, capital B, with a little TM next to it, like… I then feel like I have to show up, you know, as a certain kind of gay to fit in. Right, there. right. And I don't. I'm not interested at this point in my life in in trying to perform for the people around me. Yeah, I'm there to show up for myself. And then you add the pup layer because you wanna you wanna see you wanna see heads turn. Walk into like one of those gay bar trademark uh, bars in a pup hood or with your pup collar on, and people will give you the look.
0: Oh, for sure.
1: If I go to a kinky bar or a queer space, people are giving me a very different kind of look. It's much more supportive, affirming, yeah, fun, engaging. And so I spend 95% of my time if I go out at all because mm. I'm not a super bar a hopper oriented person yeah
0: oriented person uh, i'm not a bar oriented
1: person (laughs) and you know i think the pandemic really gifted me some perspective about that too like how much our community really out of necessity had to create these spaces for ourselves that were bars predominantly for so long or sex clubs or whatever Mm the pandemic shut everything down and suddenly we're hanging out in each other's houses. We're hanging out online. And it made me realize like, those are actually the spaces I want to be in. I don't necessarily want to be in a bar drinking drinks that aren't so tasty, but cost a lot of money exchanging looks and being awkward. Like I'd rather be (laughs) in community with people who love each other, care about each other and like are there to be authentic together. I think you
0: just said, I, I haven't heard it said in that way before, but that absolutely encapsulates exactly how I feel as well. Even though I'm still going to stick to, I'm definitely just a gay man, I, <laughs> which also makes me queer. I'm absolutely queer, but my personal sense of identity is like I'm a gay man, so I can go to gay bar, GB, TM. And be like, this is my place. This is my should-be, my inclusive, feel-comfortable, be-myself place. But the way you just described the goings-on in there, I think so many listeners have just gone, oh, fuck me. That's the difference. We're creating... (laughs) I'm not even (laughs) going to quote you because you said it perfectly. That space that exists that I think everyone above the age of 18 is familiar with if you've been to a gay bar. But what we could be creating or what perhaps gay slash queer community could be beyond the bars and beyond just simple sex apps and dating apps Could be these queer spaces that include puppy play where there's a kind of a rule book and as a general understanding, not everyone here feels the same way about their sexuality or their gender orientation and all of that is okay. Everyone coming in here is a human being, whether they're wearing a pup hood or a leather mask or um, nothing at all or regular clothing. And I I think you're totally right. You've really drilled into that space there that – I think definitely should exist to allow more and more people to be exactly who they are.
1: Yeah. And there's, there's so much diversity within our communities that gets squashed when our whole social environment is focused around like two or three types of spaces. Like where are the spaces? Like I I play magic, the gathering and Dungeons and Dragons. And like, you know, if you go to a game shop where that stuff is happening, there will be queer people there, Mm. but it's still a predominantly cis hetero patriarchal place yeah so like, what if we were to have a, a restaurant that served food and drinks but the primary reason people are there is they want to play games together like mm. there's there's a lot of gay folk who would show up there or queer folk who would show up there but it's just sort of like we we don't think about our spaces that way because we've been socialized and we've from that traumatic time like had to find our niches and i think now it's time to figure out Instead of where can we fit in, what do we want to create for ourselves? So when I started to build support pup Cooper mm. and this idea of support pups, it's like to create an identity that, and I have, I have pups who will write to me and be like, Hey, I think I'm a support pup too how do you like, how do I know if I'm a support pup or what? Mm -hmm. Do you think because I do these things that makes me a support pup? And I'm like, first of all, if you're a support pup, because you say you are right. And Mm -hmm. you want to be supportive to other people Mm -hmm. or other pups, but this idea that like just being supportive and connective in relationship with one another is also an identity and a way to be, Mm -hmm. we don't have to be just our sexuality or just our sex. And I think so much of what grew out of the invention of the term homosexual and, and uh, heterosexual, and all of that, is this hypersexualization of people, where mm. now suddenly there's these words that describe a part of us, which is our sexual sexual attraction, our sexual behavior, and now suddenly that is who we are and all of us know that there's lots of layers to who we are. And mm. so I think it's time for our communities to start to leverage all those other parts of who we are as ways we can connect with each other. Because mm. um, there's crafters, there's artists, there's engineers, There, you know, like there's millions of ways we could also be connecting with each other. And now that it's easier for folks to be out in some places, not everywhere. I think it's just, we need to interrogate a lot of that and figure out like, what does it mean to be going to spaces or having time with people where we're our whole selves we're not Mm. just there to date we're not just there to hook up we're not just there to get drunk and let our guard down like we're also there to just care about each other
0: yeah and just be and that caring yeah do you consider it like an essential part of human nature that most people like I'm support support gay man Ed Wilson because I care. I care about yeah. the people around me and not just because they're gay or queer. I I can't help but care about absolutely everybody. I think everybody has a support pub <laughs> in that sense inside of yeah. themselves. You can deny it and you can bury it, but We love each other, all of us. We all care.
1: Yeah. So a lot of the work that I've done professionally has been working with teachers, doctors, nurses, other health providers and human service professionals, social workers, therapists. And because I was a school teacher before I got into sexuality education, a lot of the work I do is really focused on how we care for young people. Mm. and how we particularly care about their sexuality and nurture them and care for them and support them in becoming whoever they are. Mm. One of the things that a mentor once taught me is that the reason we say human sexuality when we talk about it is because our sexuality, which its biological function is pleasure and enjoyment and reproduction. Like those are the core of who we are. And as a species, the reason we continue to exist. And so why not cultivate young people into adults who want to proliferate our species and enjoy ourselves like that is the root of what sexuality is about and so when i think about like us as caring like so much of those lectures and workshops that i do are uh, saying to to these providers or parents or teachers like your job is to create safety hold space for young people to learn about the world to learn about each other, to connect, to treat each other kindly, to support one another in their growth and development so that we can have more people (laughs) and that all the people we have survive. Like That's really the goal. And I think so often when we get focused on the public health message, on controlling people's behavior, which is so much of what sexuality education has been about in the United States for the last 120 years or so. Yeah. We end up controlling and limiting people rather than supporting and fostering their happiness. Yep. So I do think that like a lot of us do have that desire to care about ourselves and others, but we've learned not to because people have modeled for us this idea of control and prejudice and discrimination. Mm. And we're missing the point of the daily human condition, right? Which is about being happy and enjoying our life. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: You are such a pleasure to talk to, Support Pub Cooper. Um, We we are so absolutely in alignment about what truly matters to us and what we truly care about. And I think it's our ability to uh, have shaken off and and see for what it is, society's attempt to, uh, you know, control and model for us who we should be and we found well who I am doesn't align with what you say should be and there comes a time a time where you have to decide for yourself what's more important the truth and the natural human self and the real just the real truth within me to the best of my ability to understand when I look inside and I feel it versus what everyone is telling me I should be and look like and behave as and wear and dress and say. And I think both of us are on our journey, as I hope as many people as possible can be, of looking inside and saying, hey, I don't find evil in here. I don't find uh, wanting to hurt or harm others in here. I find loving. I find caring. I find horniness. I find self-expression. I find uh, a desire to learn and grow and explore and improve myself and, you know, personally, I've always known that having a a male partner and a partnership was always super important to me. Um, And none of that is a problem for me. So, why should society say that I'm a problem? Oh, I don't have to buy into that anymore. And now I'm free. And now we can be free. And now we can be free to walk the journey, which is, who are you? What do you really, really want? And if you walk this path... I bet you, you will find your own purpose and meaning and you will feel less lost, less confused. And hopefully when we create and hold and make these gay and queer community spaces, there will be space for you to be you amongst others.
1: Yeah, and I I think when I think back to my younger self, I have, there are moments where I think like, if I had grown up today, or if I were growing up today, where people know about gender nonconforming kids or gender non-binary kids or trans kids, like I'd probably be at least described as gender nonconforming or non-binary mm. or gender fluid. I think I would probably see more models of what it might be like to be pansexual or bisexual. I think I might still choose to live my life in relationships with predominantly other people with penises, yeah. but that doesn't mean that I, I don't have the capacity for more. Mm. I, I do think that I still think sometimes like, cause enter non-monogamy into this conversation. Mm-hmm. That's the other layer of this is that like, we're also raised in this culture that teaches us that like, we're looking for a partner rather than a community of people who we connect and support one another with some of whom we have sex with some of whom we don't. Yeah. Sex doesn't have to be penetrative either. Right. Like sex can look a lot of different ways. Yep. And I think that the world that young people are growing up in now presents them with so many options and it scares a lot of people who were raised to only understand a couple of options for themselves. Yep. And Again, we're losing sight of the whole point of the human condition, which is to care about each other, be supportive, keep each other alive, and there's so many ways to do that. Mm. And
0: there's so many people for which the heteronormative standard cookie cutter um, we should be story and narrative fits right, and so they they're like everything's great. I and what, but what they are is oblivious to difference and divergence from those feelings that comes from within we're not choosing to be different we are different and there isn't a space for us or wasn't you know and more or less still isn't come on we're doing great work but let's not pretend that most kids in schools aren't getting a sex education and narratives from their predominantly um, heterosexual parents which is never going to change that is still happening It is. we can do better and coming together and being better and doing better is what we're here to do, to make more spaces, to include more people so everyone can have their human journey.
1: Yeah. And honestly, I think the norm is the norm and it's driven by the majority. There's a big part of my academic self that thinks that part of why we're seeing, especially like what we're seeing here in the United States, this uprising of fundamentalist people who Mm. are really resisting this change is because we're upsetting the foundation of patriarchy. We're upsetting the foundation of heterosexuality. Mm. And honestly, I think some of the people who are most threatened by it, it's because they actually get it. They get that these boxes don't work. Mm. They have invested so much of themselves Mm. in fitting into the boxes.
0: Mm, They don't want to lose that. that. It's like,
1: yeah, because, Uh. What do I do without the box? Yeah, when I've spent my whole life trying to aspire to live and in and it.
0: make it work.
1: Oh god, and it's working because it does work for you. It's like what I was talking yeah, exactly. before about my own masculinity. Like if I started to live my life in a more non-gender non-conforming way, which I'm certain I'm capable of, and I'm certain that there's an authentic part of me that is that way. Yep, I would lose something, and does that make me inauthentic to still choose to live the way I'm like, I I honestly don't know. That's why I like queers because I don't really know. And the more I think about it and stress about it or worry about it, the more I realize I'm losing my queerness in that process. Yeah. The whole point is I don't need to know. Yes. Just be. And so I painted my nails mm-hmm. a lot during the pandemic mm-hmm. when I was home most of the time. Mm-hmm. And then when I started to go out, I painted them less often, Mm. mostly because I just, it's annoying to deal with the people in the world who want to talk about them. And I'm like, I'm just painting my nails for me, actually, not for any of you at all. Yeah. And I, you know, it's the same reason people ask, like, well, do you wear your pup collar out or not? And I'm like, "I I have no problem myself wearing it out or under my shirt. Yeah. It's more of how, how much today do I feel like that being a part of my life? <laughs> yeah. Do I want to go to the grocery store and have people ask me about it? And like there's a coffee shop I go to and when I have it out, they don't even ask me my name because they see it around my neck and they know who I am. Hey, right? So like that benefits. makes me feel affirmed and supported yeah. for, supported, right? Yeah. But if I go to the store and grocery store and I wear it out and people, oh, what's what's that around your neck? And yeah. I'm like, it's pretty, pretty clear it's a dog collar with a title <laughs> on it with my name
0: it's pretty clear what this is uh, i love that you're doing the work that helps the next person and that's always going to be true um but it's a good time i think to remind ourselves that the world has a lot going on there's a lot changing you can label it as good or bad or right and wrong if you want to but there's a certain amount of work and change that you you, you intrinsically desire it's not your responsibility you as the individual pup cooper to solve everybody's non-understanding of what it means to wear a dog collar it's not your responsibility to help everyone who has a problem with this unknot their own problem with whatever the fuck problem they're having with you not fitting the mold but the fact that you're doing some of it is creating change and i guess i just want to say thank you and only do as much as you want to. Don't do any more. Don't hurt yourself. That would be the, a true crime uh, for you to push yourself too hard and want to make more change than any pe- re- person is reasonably expected or capable of doing. So, thank you.
1: I, You're welcome. And I appreciate that because people often ask, one of the questions I get in my DMs on Instagram a lot is like, when is it appropriate or not appropriate to wear your hood in public? Mm. And… I just answered it today and I said, you know, I think it's always appropriate to wear it as long as you're comfortable doing so and it's safe for you. Yeah, It's okay to choose not to wear it if you don't feel like wearing it on a given day. But like for me, when I wear it, 99% of the time I have positive or neutral response from people. Mm. And the most I've ever experienced and I will own that I go in places where I'm less likely to get experience prejudice with it mm. when i do uh the the most negative thing i've gotten was like a sneer or a funny look
0: mm.
1: no one's ever heckled me harassed me i think it's more just people are like what are you doing
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, in, yeah
1: in, in their head i think they're saying who the hell are you what the hell is that in yeah My head, i'm thinking they're thinking what the hell is it that gives you the right to go live your life however you want when I'm sitting here fitting into a box I hate being in? <laughs> oh,
0: such an advanced being, aren't you? <laughs> I think I think that's true. I think that's true. Uh, a lot of people can feel very challenged by the, the fact that some very open, self, uh, self-affirming, self-loving people demonstrate that truth about themselves in public in front of other people and they go... I hate that. That person has the thing that I want and I don't know how to get it. And they have sparked within me this um, kind of angry jealousy and all they've done is been themselves and I can't really fault them, but I'm still left with my jealousy and my anger. Right. Yeah. It's also on the, do you wear your pup or do you not wear it? It's not right or wrong, right? You either do or you don't, but you will get the result that you get. If you feel ready and prepared and safe enough to make a choice, you can Uh, if you don't. You don't have to. It's not right or wrong when or where to do anything at all. If you take my perspective, it's just you can make your choices, you can guesstimate what result you might get, and then you got to give it a chance. Who knows? We can't know the future. Don't bother trying. It's just going to hurt you. Just either do it or don't based on your own best understanding if you lack information, go get some more information. And I guess in this case, they did, right? By asking you, someone who's out and, and proud and available and visible in community, the community of Instagram in this case, to say, can I, can I, what's your experience?
1: And honestly, when I get messages every so often, that's like, thank you, just, just the, the sweet, kind, appreciative messages that thank me for, for doing this. I'm like, I'm doing this for me just as much as I'm doing it for anyone else. Yeah. And it it reminds me, number one, that that I'm making a difference. But it also reminds me that there are so many ways to be in the world and me getting to be mine, even if it's not the way someone else wants to be. If they see me in a pup hood and it makes them go, I can wear a dress that I've always wanted to wear because mm. that guy's wearing a pup hood. Yeah. I just want people to live their truths and to live their most authentic selves and to be happy doing it. Because Mm. once you get comfortable, people, it's that law of attractions thing. It's like when people, when you live your best life and you're most comfortable in your own skin, you're drawn to other people like you and other people who are drawn to you because you're not hiding, you're not pretending. Yeah. Like you're literally just being yourself. And I think that's when my friend said to me, you know, I want to call you Cooper because when I call you Cooper, I get a different response. What I think he gets is all of me responding. Mm. Gets the, my, I mean, the biggest thing I, like I say is it makes me want to wag my tail. Like it makes me feel a kind of childish enthusiasm that mm. was squashed out of me as a 12 year old queer kid.
0: Yeah. Like, and you could continue to pretend that you don't have it, but the truth is you do and
1: you enjoy I it. I do. And I and it love it. It feels right. Yeah. Like it feels right. And I, I've always been a like a theatrical, dynamic, funny, loud, gregarious, goofy person. Yeah. But I spent probably twenty years of my forty-four years pretending I wasn't to Mm. fit some expectations that like being a man and being a good gay man meant performing this kind of toxic masculinity Mm. and sexualized. I don't even know what, like <laughs>
0: whatever the it hell it <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> And it's funny, so Bobby Box, I don't know if you know his work, but he's a sex educator, oh. and he published recently about sides, like, you know there's top, yeah, there's yeah, pop. yeah. Pop. yep. he did an article and and a post about sides. Like I didn't know about what that was until I was in graduate school.
0: And just just for listeners, uh, the basics are: sides are people who have a natural and you know unadulterated preference for non-anal intercourse in their regular sexual activities, right? You're a sex educator. Yep. You could probably define it yep, better. That's than that, right. but yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah, okay, you great. Did a, great job. <laughs> a plus, gold hey, star. Oh, 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 oh. Oh. So yeah, like, and then I've, I'm like. I enjoy anal intercourse sometimes, but aside is my primary, like that's who I am. Right. And honestly, when I found pupping Mm. and then I found the sexual part of it,
0: Mm.
1: I was like, and there's all these other parts of pupping that are super fun. And that's like barking and wrestling and sniffing and paws and scratches. And like, there's so much more to our sexuality, right? Mm -hmm. Like, cause all of those things I just described in dog terms are also things humans can do. Mm. right Mm. it's just that when you're a pup and you're playing with another pup or with a handler or whoever Mm. you get to have this kind of animalistic freedom yeah there's an expected animalistic way about it yeah and then there's all this variety of of things that so often you know people think they have to you know in, in the states we often talk about running the bases it's you know first you have to kiss and then you touch each other over the clothes and then under the clothes and then you touch genitals and then it's oral and then like there's this very like progressive
0: mm. and then it's penetration sexual experience and that's where you and then remain. It's
1: penetration and then it's orgasm. Yeah. But like orgasm can happen at the beginning. Yeah. And then you still play a lot after there's no orgasm at all. There's just literally sniffing and licking and enjoying each other's bodies. Like there's so much to our sexuality. Mm. And that's one of the things that I think that pupping has gifted me. And I found it after like, I was already a sexuality educator teaching people about this stuff.
0: Yeah. It got unlocked. It unlocked within you in a real experiential way. The the freedom yes. factor and the, the I can be me and do this however I want. Hey, you guys, I found something. There's no rules, guys. <laughs> Guys, guys, we've all been living with these assumptions that we have to do things a certain way. But I looked around me. No one is forcing me to do that.
1: Exactly. And then it's, you know, because because then when I found, like, the power in, in identifying as a side and the power in realizing that, like, I could pop around with somebody for a couple of hours, mm. only, you know, do anything genitally a little bit and have just as much fun, if not more, mm. then sort of the vanilla way i did it for 15 years you yeah know? and it's it's about it goes back to that point i was making before about pleasure like if our point is survival proliferation of the species and pleasure mm. like we need to be teaching people about pleasure from the beginning
0: i'm feeling the slight desire to just jump in and say i love Everything about what you're doing and enjoying because I know that at the center of it is not a desire to hurt or harm anyone, especially not any animals or any people and that that assumption can come in for people and make them feel uneasy. On top of that, I want to say people who don't feel an affinity for pup play or anthropomorphism or the art or the culture or furries or anything in this area of you know, life and freedom and BDSM and all the options that are available to us. If it just isn't within you and it doesn't unlock you and you don't feel the things that either Pop Cooper or me, you know, confess to feeling in different ways, that's cool too. That's just not your jam. There is absolutely zero judgment about whether or not someone has or does not have these desires and experiences of pleasure in the way that any other person does.
1: I just 100%. Yeah, 100%. And I think that the, I've had a conversation with a colleague about so much of what pupping is about is the playfulness. Mm. And so the only place I would kind of not push back, but encourage people to think about is like, you may not have this affinity for all the stuff I'm talking about, but I would encourage all of your listeners and everybody out there in the world To find their joy, their playfulness, their Mm. happiness, the things they do just because they're fun, just because they're enjoyable, just because maybe they don't make your tail wag, but they make you smile or they make you laugh or they make your heart beat a little faster, Mm. whatever those things are that like, this is all supposed to be about enjoying our life. Mm. And if sex or relationships or your identity doesn't bring you joy, consider that maybe it's knitting, or maybe it's computer science that brings you joy. Maybe it's not sex at all.
0: Yeah. Play Like
1: all of us ought to have some part of us that is playful, fun, enjoyable. Yeah. And that just genuinely brings us joy for joy's sake alone. Yeah. And I think that there's this idea that kind of grew out of the Renaissance and this Western European culture, uh, this idea that like hedonism and pleasure and joy are like, too fundamental they're not the human existence is about thinking and ideas and achievement and success and all these things that that the economy tells us now are things that are valuable like mm. joy is free happiness is free if we find the thing that sparks it within us yeah and so i was pretty grumpy for a long time oh yeah <laughs> Pumping found a part of me that, you know, I can put my hood on and be in my room by myself and find my little sparks. And sometimes I feel silly doing it. Mm. But the silliness that I feel doing it is not more than the joy and the happiness that I feel to it.
0: Mm. Mm.
1: And, you know, I just, so yeah, I would say like maybe this stuff, you know, people don't need to feel bad if they're not into this way of accessing it. But if people don't know how to access it, explore
0: Mm. And not only is it free to explore yourself and express yourself uh, just within yourself and by yourself, uh, we'll get to the expenses and the privilege and the access thing in a bit, perhaps, but who, who, you know how, remember, we found out there's no rules? Who said that simply living and being yourself and experiencing and joy and sharing and playing is not the meaning of life? I'm not saying that it is or isn't. I want everyone listening to look inside and go, well, "How meaningful is that to me? How do I find my own true response inside of myself when I think about playing as a puppy, drawing strawberries, uh, playing piano, <laughs> or anything else weird and wonderful and different?" And I think, as we've been saying, if we if we if we find play and expression and the joy that comes from that as a result, really valuable and that means something to you, well, there you go. That is forming some of the meaning that you make about your life, and you are free to determine, decide, and do whatever you find meaningful and important within your life. There's no rules. No one is stopping you from doing that. But you might have a lot of fear because I guess... The people that are stopping us from doing that—it's not any given person in particular, but other than like the the kind of groupthink, the kind of globalized or the big, uh, the zeitgeist of public opinion or the way people live uh, generally or should live—and I think we 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 can we can feel that, and it attempts to control our behaviour. But if you realise. It's attempting to control my behavior, but actually I'm in charge. I'm in charge of me. It's up to me at any given time to look inside and say, you know, I'm too grumpy. That hood thing is, for whatever reason, pulling me towards it and I want to put it on my head and I want to know what that feels like. And you might put it on and you might like it, and you might put it on and you might not like it. If it ends up being joyful and meaningful to you and you're not hurting anybody why can't that be part of the meaning of your life? I really mean it on that deep and important a level.
1: Yep, 100%.
0: And it's up to you. And everyone has access to that.
1: They do. And it can actually enrich and make your life like it can, it's almost like a, it can become then a resource that motivates and empowers your life.
0: Yeah. It becomes the fire that stokes your flames, right? The wood that stokes yes. the fire of your flames. Absolutely. When you find you and you turn up as you, uh, it unlocks a lot. <laughs> and then you get to turn up that way, hopefully to the best of your ability for others because people who have achieved this kind of self transformation and have uh, shrugged off the shoulds and the, the musts and the 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 meaning of life as dictated by somebody else external to yourself, you know that freedom and serenity and the potential for joy and playfulness and exploration and truly living in a way that really 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 works for you. Oh God, it's everything. It's everything. <laughs> it's not everything, it's- but you know, it's everything uh, that I do with Brown Bear Coaching and I help people achieve. It's just so fundamentally important to uh, the pleasurable and it just real really feels so rewarding and important way of living as you, allowing yourself to be, there's something sacred about it. How or when did you realize uh, that you might be a pup? Is it a thing you saw or what was there a
1: certain experience? Hmm. I found the kink community when I was in graduate school. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
1: not that I hadn't seen it before, but in graduate school, we had a group of kinksters come and talk to our class about why and how they got into it.
0: Mm.
1: And up until that point, it was sort of one of those things that I had seen like Tama Finland drawings, and I had seen uh, in gay community the leather men in their motorcycle jackets and yep. all of that. Yeah. But I never really understood it. And then so then I understood it because I had a real human beings come and talk about it.
0: Mm.
1: And then I probably through porn or something on the internet uh, stumbled upon Bound jocks, which was like a website or, or porn channel that tied up athletes mm. or people dressed as athletes. Mm. And that was the first time something clicked. Ooh. I was like, Ooh,
0: Uh 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 i I love hearing kinksters explain these because so often you know i'm not a very kinky person and it just misses everything for me i'm like oh well i love hearing about other people having these experiences though
1: yeah and then but and what it flipped was you know locker rooms were not safe spaces for me as a kid right but athletes were something i always aspired and admired Mm. right Mm mm-hmm Cartoons. I mean, how many cartoons do we see as kids? Where like some villain or somebody, some villain ties up a, a hero, or some hero ties up a villain, and they're like struggling to get out. And for whatever reason, I was just like, "Ooh,
0: ooh, it's scratched."
1: <laughs> that's yeah, like that's it, interesting.
0: It scratched an itch you didn't know you had. It was is it quite viscerally physical? Like, does your dick? get hard in response or is it your heartstrings pulled or how do you
1: heartstrings right it's that there's something about that that kind of drew my interest Mm. but at the time it was not something i ever thought i could actually do Mm. because it was just sort of something i saw so when i then had this group of people come and talk about it in class i was like oh so like real everyday people just do this stuff Mm. and it's as easy as going to like Home Depot, buying some rope, learning how to tie knots, how to do it safely, and then buying some sports equipment at like the sporting goods store or the used sporting goods store. Mm. And the, now you've got everything you need for the scene or the the play that you want to have. And then that was how I found kink and BDSM. Mm-hmm. And a couple of early experiences I had, I was like, oh, okay. so this is exciting. Like being restrained or restraining someone like is an arousing experience. And it was more mental and emotional for me, mm. which bookmark that. Cause we'll come back to that later. Yep. Then it was sexual per se. It was more just that like dynamic of now you can't go anywhere. That's hot. Mm. And then, so then I started to like get involved in the community, make friends play with people. And then I went to the first Mid-Atlantic Leather event, which is a, a, a conference of sorts in Washington, DC that happens in January every year. Ironically, it's like six blocks from the Capitol building right in the heart of DC. Mm-hmm. That was where I first saw pups for the first. And then I I think on Scruff or yeah, I think it was on Scruff. Uh, I started talking to somebody who had a profile they were a pub mm-hmm. or an alpha and we started talking but we didn't actually meet that year at mal because it's a busy event and it, we just didn't actually meet in person
0: all right but then over but safe time to say, we kept talking safe to say your ears perked up
1: yeah <laughs> 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 yep, my ears going. perked up my tail, tail
0: uh-huh, lifted button. anyway yep. so we started yep.
1: talking and then he was like will you do something for me will you make a video Like crawling around your hands and you know, down on all fours and like play with a ball or something. And I was like, uh, so nervous, so scared. I don't know if I want to do this. Uh But I did it. And I'm telling you, Ed, like that was it.
0: Oh wow. I was
1: like, this is fun. And it was a little bit of the like being told what to do. Mm -hmm. And then we we set up time to meet because he lived in New York and we met and we played in person
0: Mm.
1: and it, that was it. That was it. Then I put on a hood. Wow. I bought a hood. Yeah. Then those all kind of, so like, I like to be like a sporty puppy. Like that's sort of my like aesthetic. Yep. yep. So to come back to the emotional part. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I've learned about myself only in the last year and a half or so is that I'm a lot more demisexual than I ever thought I was. And so demisexual, for those of you who don't know, are folks it's a subset of the asexual folks but it's basically the idea that your sexuality or your sexual desire is wired to an emotional connection with someone so it's very common for demisexual people not to experience like spontaneous sexual arousal or spontaneous sexual desire unless they have a connection First. some kind of intimate relationship with a person yeah and yeah. so part of what i realized and i think if i get super theoretical and like into my sexologist background is that I think a lot of the trauma that I experienced as a young person, as I desired relationships that were forbidden and wrong, a lot of that got sort of wired within me in a way that like, I enjoy the idea of something that's hard to find or hard to get. So that's where like the restraint and bondage stuff comes together. Mm -hmm. And because of that, difficulty I had as an adolescent, accepting myself or feeling relationships with other people, like I have a really hard time opening up my sexuality if I don't have a sense of safety Mm. and connection with somebody.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And
1: there's a million ways we can look at that through a trauma lens and I'm broken and I'm, you know, all this, right? But that is not how I see it. Like, it's just who I am. I don't know if that's because of my experiences that I ended up that way, or maybe I was that way from birth or you know, early childhood is that that's how I came to be, but it's who I am. And Mm. now that I know that Mm. I now can look back on my sexual relationships and life story and realize that's why some of the stuff didn't always work very well. That's why some of those things that I did I did because I felt like I had to, because it's what we're socialized to do, mm. but never felt authentic and right for me. Mm. But now that I've unlocked that like recipe, mm. now I have had some of the best experiences because I know what the ingredients are, I know how to put them together, mm. and I know how fantastic the outcome
0: is. Mm. Would you say that you found that rather than worrying about explaining it, intellectualizing it, or, or, or nailing down the why, the thing that really moved something forward for you and did something meaningful for you was to explore who you are and what is, as opposed to why it is?
1: Correct. Yeah. And what is, and lean into the happiness, the wagging, the aruing that Mm -hmm, happens mm -hmm. and just say that like i'm doing this because it makes me happy Mm. and i I, i'm doing it you know i don't need to be necessarily with another demisexual person Mm. but i need to be with someone who gets that about me and is going to support affirm, care for it yep and then show up for the experience that's going to mean i'm going to have what i need to thrive and hopefully i will be able to then provide the same back for them BDSM, sports gear and bondage are the things that led me to that place.
0: And I hope that anyone listening, whether it's BDSM and you do a lot of googling tonight <laughs> or you just just sit with yourself and look inwards for the the sexual creative expressive being that you are. Find your own play find your own joy if you realize that you're avoiding explaining excusing or you know just deliberately diminishing or shaming yourself you can start to cut that out as soon as you want to and start to say well you know Support Pop Cooper is turning up today as a very strange individual. I think it's kind of fair to say that. I don't mean it in a judgmental way, but you're, you know, oh, maybe I'm in the weird. one percentile. Yeah. So <laughs> And so am I. And the truth is, so is everybody. But the person that would hear this or meet you on the street or listen to your story and shame you, give you shit about it, not accept you, reject you, cause you any level of, you know, emotional or interpersonal harm. That person has more than likely has something going on that they are struggling with. Your existence is making them uncomfortable and that's not your fault. That's something that is happening within them and that's leading them to want to act out or lash out or do something absolutely unloving and that's not your fault for existing and being who you are. So, if someone wants to come out and, and, and yuck your yum or deny your truth or judge and shame who you are, I think it says a lot more about them than it says about you. And even if you're listening and you're feeling within yourself, like this has been really hard to listen to, all this shame and judgment is swirling inside of me, just listening to this guy bark out out loud and have fun doing it like a dog. I think it says a lot more about you than it says about Pup Cooper. And I encourage you just to sit with that, explore that and figure out within yourself what is going on. That's really more important. And don't worry about why. Just figure out what is going on and see if you can do something with that to get yourself a better outcome.
1: I think it says something about folks who have that judgment, but also it says more about the people who taught them that judgment in the first place. Yeah, Because we are not born with that kind of judgment. absolutely. We are born, you look at babies and little kids, Yeah, they are living their best lives until they're taught, don't wear that, don't talk like that, don't look like that. Behave these ways because it's what we expect of you. Mm. And that's the source of where judgment comes from. Yeah. And I think if we can each, when we feel that judgment, go within ourselves and liberate ourselves from those narratives, we can realize that we're spending an awful lot of time on other people than we are on our own joy and happiness and And
0: energy time and energy wasted i love to talk about shame i know it can be uncomfortable and difficult uh, but it's a part of all of us right especially us queers and weirdos which i love being can i ask you do you still harbor shame today what's that like
1: no, not ever. I am shame-free. <laughs> Shameless. <laughs>
0: Shameless in a complete now, sense. Of yeah, no, of <laughs> course. I do.
1: And I think I do. And that's just honest. Yeah. I work hard to dismantle it when I feel it. Mm. And to look for opportunities to love myself and the people who taught me the shame. Mm. Because... I know that the people who taught them the shame that they taught me mm. thought they were doing the right thing. Yes. And I think that's the hard part. There is a lot of stories from my life that I could tell about times when I was told to be different. Mm. And I have held anger for a long time that people did that. And it wasn't until the last few years that I have heard the rest of those stories, which was the stories about the teachers and what the principals told them about how to handle me and Mm -hmm. the relatives who told my parents or my siblings things about me. Every one of those people I truly believe thought they were doing the right thing and thought they were going to do something good for me. Unfortunately, they were driven by the conformity the heteronormativity the patriarchy the misogyny that was the soup they were drinking the water they were swimming in yeah and i think the world we're living in today that's much more where there's a lot more voices around justice and equity and diversity and inclusion i think the world is telling us now that those things actually perpetuate a lot of harm mm. um so when I feel that shame inside of myself, I look for the source of it and I try, and this is this is probably a product of my 40s and being this point in my life
0: mm-hmm.
1: where I have very little to lose because I've established myself at this point where I don't rely on things that I used to have to rely on for success. But I am at a point now where I often think about myself as a kid and the kids who I work so hard to teach people to support and I tell myself like I have to step out of my shame to be proud and happy about who I am because that is the very thing that's going to prevent people from perpetuating the harm that was done to me. Mm. And so like even something as simple as coming on a podcast like this mm this is now like i've done quite a few of these at this point and chosen to just show all the way up right because there's mm. there's things i could say we're not going to talk about mm. but what i've come to realize is that like every time i tell my stories or talk about my perspective or experiences i'm giving people the gift of vulnerability authenticity and helping them see that it's messy because me performing everything neat and perfect doesn't help people with their own messy People need to be not alone in their messy yeah. by being with people like me, with you mm. and others who are doing work like us to mm. see that like the struggle is all part of it.
0: Yeah. Um, it's perfectly human, right? We're all experiencing this.
1: We are. And I, so anyway, so when I find shame, I mean, there are moments where I think like, am I, am I bad if I put my hood on now in this place? Mm. And I was on a trip in the fall and I was going to, sightseeing and there were a lot of kids around and i was like i want to put my hood on and take some pictures and walk around in my hood because i'm cooper and that's what i do yeah and i thought i'm like oh what about all these parents are they going to think i'm a freak are they going to be embarrassed for their kids Are these kids going to be warped and like no one was ruined or harmed by me walking around in my hood and in fact the kids were like it's a dog look it's a wolf it's done like they were happy
0: yeah they were curious and excited about something weird and different that they saw today.
1: Yeah. And mm. like, honestly, it was probably not even that weird and different to them. It was more so because here's what I say to people like, but we take people to Disney World where they see Mickey Mouse and Pluto and Cinderella and yeah, <laughs> not a problem not that different. Yeah. Not that
0: different. Well, you know, at what point do we... As kids, when we're we're encouraged to be free and play, we play dress-ups. And and almost all of us enjoy that to some extent. And then we become adults and suddenly playing dress-ups is not acceptable anymore. What? Right. Whose rule is that? Fuck your rules. Uh, (laughs) Whoever made that one. (laughs) Right.
1: Unless you're a Marvel... An actor in a Marvel film and then it's okay. Right. Oh, God.
0: Uh, Okay. So... Is there a way in which you could choose to live now or you are choosing to live? In terms of shame, you find shame and instead of going, oh, no, there's more shame, damn it, you can go, oh, look, there's some more. Now that I'm feeling this, I'm aware that there is a thing within me that I can explore and learn something more about myself, who and how I am and how I'm experiencing existence. And that's actually a fun little challenge that you can take on yourself to be like, oh, could I eradicate this shame? Could I work through something else? Is that how you feel about it now or, or, or could do?
1: So, when I first realized that I have this demisexual part of myself,
0: mm.
1: I felt a little shame in it because I was like, here I am, a sexuality educator, a puppy, a kingster, mm. and my sexuality is wired to an emotional connection with people, mm. which means now if I engage in other kinds of behavior, I'm not being authentic to myself so what does that mean about all this, these relationships or play that I've engaged in in the past? Was I not being true to myself? And I feel there's some shame in it. And then about like, well, now what does it mean to, now that I know this about myself, now living authentically requires me to take care of that in a way. Mm. There's a little bit of shame in that, like I should be freer because-
0: What, shame for feeling shame.
1: No like that like like I feel shame that I can't just be as free as I encourage other people to be.
0: Right. So that does sound like shame about shame though cuz you're not as free as you could be because you experience shame and you feel ashamed about that.
1: Yeah, I see what you're saying. The vision I have for people is to be shame free.
0: Yeah. Which may never but happen. But in reality,
1: but... <laughs> why well, exactly? But in reality, my sexuality doesn't really if I'm being truest and and taking care of myself the best, mm. that's not how I'm happy. I'm not happy with casual sex. I'm not happy with. Uh, mm.
0: So here's how, here's how I lay out. I think, I think with my last question, I kind of led you into an answer, which isn't, isn't good interviewing. Uh, oh, I'm not perfect. <laughs> what a surprise. Um, <laughs> how Here's how I view opportunities. Like you, You're a person who wants to eliminate shame. You know, you see shame as a kind of a a net negative, more or less, or most people do, right? Let's just say most people. If you now live a life where you're like, I want to be as happy, joyful, and free as I can, that means less shame. And so, that means when you experience shame, you're like, oh, I haven't done it yet. I'm not done. Or you could also say, I'm not good. But there's another way of looking at this situation. I'm human. I've been through what I've been through. I've been trying my best more or less the whole time. And here I am today. Now, when I experience shame, or you could also say resistance to anything within myself, I can stop and notice that and go, oh, this is telling me something about me that I either don't know or haven't processed yet. This is now an opportunity for me to become freer, lighter, and more self-loving or more accepting of myself and the universe because I am experiencing the opposite, the, the negative version of it, which yeah. is to say don't do that, behave properly. I
1: actually have a – A funny story.
0: Okay, yeah. Well, I'll just finish off. So, anyone can choose to see the experience of shame or resistance to life as it is happening as an opportunity to learn and grow and therefore welcome experiences of shame or resistance and say, clearly, there's evidence here to prove that there's something to learn or grow within myself and I'm thankful for
1: that. Yes, (laughs) this is such a funny story because as you're telling the story, you're like narrating my internal monologue when this whole thing went down. So I was at the Austin kink weekend in April Mm -hmm. 2022 with a group of friends. And as I was getting dressed, like we were going to, I was, I brought these big, heavy chains that I turned into a harness. And I also have this very heavy chain collar with a big padlock uh, lock. And I like to wear it. And I, I'm not collared by anyone, but I, I have several collars that have locks. And I self-collar, which is, that's a whole other conversation for another time. Google it. But yeah, <laughs> self-collar, something people do. Yeah. Anyway, so I put this collar on, get all dressed up to go out. We go out, we go to the party. And I mentioned earlier, I'm not much of a like bar party dog. Yep. And so after a while, my friend and I are at this party and we're having a great time, but we're like done. So we decide we're going to leave We're going to go back to our hotel and go to sleep. Meet up with everybody the next day. Mm -hmm. We had left our bags at our friend's house because we were originally going to go to the party and then go back to the house, get our stuff and go back to the hotel. Mm. Guess where the key was to the padlock around my neck?
0: In the backpack at your friend's place.
1: Yes. And Uh we did not go back there. We went right back to the hotel. Uh It was as we were getting to the hotel that I realized that I had a lock locking a very heavy chain around my neck that I was not going to be able to take off for some time, which meant I was going to sleep in it. Mm. I was going to get up the next day. And until we met up with those guys who were going to be out late, so they were probably going to sleep in, which meant the next day I was going to spend a good part of that day in that collar. Yep, And it's not a, it's not a, you can't hide this under your shirt. Kind
0: of. And you can't, yeah, you couldn't take it off in any in any way. You couldn't, yeah, right. So yeah. now you're lock guy and you have no recourse.
1: <laughs> yep. In the moment, I'm like in the Uber on the way back to the hotel thinking to myself, wow, this is a problem. I know better than to lock myself or something onto someone without a spare set of keys somewhere. Yeah, I knew where my keys were, but, you know, rule of thumb with kink and and yeah, you always have a a, set, uh, a spare set. Yep. So going forward, I will always keep a set at the hotel and in my backpack. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, it didn't really bother me because it's fine. Like I'll just go to sleep in it. And it wasn't until we were getting ready for bed that I realized, oh no! Not only am I going to sleep in this, but I'm going to have it on most of the day tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And then I did feel that feeling of shame. Like mm. I know better as a kingster and as an educator of kingsters than to put myself in this situation. At least I did it to myself and not someone else. And I'm now going to have to spend the day in Austin doing whatever it is we do, get coffee, breakfast, lunch, go sightseeing with this very heavy chain that's going to be heavy and not so comfortable, but also like. How many times do you walk around a city and see some guy walking around with a big chain locked around his neck?
0: Oh, look, the answer is simple. Hi, everybody. I am a Marvel superhero. Nothing to see here. And just tell every (laughs) single person on every street that ever sees you, no matter how far away, that it's okay. I'm a Marvel superhero.
1: (laughs) So, well, exactly. But I'm like, but you know what? I did this to myself. And then I was like, you know what, though, Cooper? Like... You're a locked puppy, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. This is who you are.
1: I could embrace this as a moment to feel in a way submissive to myself or to some unknown entity and to feel a little bit of like what that feels like, Mm. because that's generally not my shtick. It's not something I do. Mm -hmm. I've done it to other people, Mm. but it really did. Like I, I had to process through like, this is shameful because I know better, but actually this is funny. It ended up being kind of enjoyable because once I reframed it, I realized that like, I'm safe. I was with Max. Max was, he thought it was hilarious and Mm. he was not bothered by it at all. Mm. And, you know, there were probably people who saw me and were like, "Oh, that guy looks hot with that. Or Mm. people who saw me and were like, what the hell is that? Or people Mm. who were like, that's freaky. Mm. But you know what? Like none of those reactions informed at all. My experience of my day, my experience of my day was what I wanted it to be. Mm. And, ultimately that was funny hilarious when we did end up meeting with our friends they had a real hoot about it mm. and it was fine Ed like nobody actually cared
0: wait so you did something strange unusual um slightly sexual and nobody died and there were no explosions and the fbi didn't arrest you
1: no, the That's worst crazy. case scenario would have been had I gotten into some a medical emergency. Ooh. They might have had to use some crazy bolt cutters or saw to cut it yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. Have... Thankfully, nothing like that happens.
0: So you could have come across some firemen and be like, hey, boys, I got a particular problem. I need your help.
1: Woof. That, that levels the whole scenario up a whole another level.
0: Can I just get on my knees for a second while you take A-roo! this off me? <laughs> uh,
1: That's my shame spiral story that turned out to be quite fine. I just had to reframe it for myself.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. Hey, um, is there anything else on your mind that you would love to say to the audience? Or shall we begin to wrap things up for today?
1: Um, the, the other thing I think it's important to mention, and we hinted at it, or I, I mentioned it briefly earlier, is just the reality that a lot of pup play or kink in general requires supplies, resources, etc. Right. It really doesn't. We often use a lot of those things and yes, you can buy them expensive from boutique, leather, and kink shops. The local hardware store is also a great place to buy a lot of equipment. Um, Using it and using it safely is important. If you don't know how to use things, it's important to pursue learning how to do it and do it safely.
0: And there is a lot of information online, right? If, if you are interested in kink and you're planning to explore it, please do some research and, and educate yourself uh, to a certain extent first because, uh, you know, there's very real risks in a lot of different BDSM behaviors.
1: And you do not need to have a hood, a collar, a leash, or any gear at all to be a puppy. Mm. In fact, many of us as pups, even though we have all that gear, we still pup around without any. Anyone can have access to it. All you need is to be yourself yeah. and to to find that part of who you are. Um,
0: and you've already got paws, a muzzle, a nose, eyes, ears, a snout, a tongue, <laughs> legs. You can scratch yourself. <laughs>
1: You've got to wag. And You've a tail. tail,
0: yeah. I wag sometimes. I, I'm i not a pup, right. but I, I shake my butt because I'm like, woo. <laughs> yeah. It is fun.
1: <sighs>
0: All right, brilliant. This has been absolutely sensational. Agreed. Yeah, I've, I've genuinely, genuinely had a good time. I, I find you a kindred spirit and a real pleasure to talk to.
1: You too, Ed. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure.
0: Mm, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: Hey, Cooper, uh, thank you so much for being with us. If people want to find out more about you and find you, where can they find you?
1: Support Pup Cooper on Instagram. Supportpupcooper.com is my website. And if you want to email me, it's cooper at supportpupcooper.com. Thank you.